Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you'd open up a Philippians chapter 2, we're going to complete that chapter today beginning in verse 19. Excited that you are gathered with us this morning. In the history of Christianity, so in, in the faith, a Jewish Pharisee named Saul became known as a Christian apostle named Paul, and he was, by all measures, really one of a kind. He was a great persecutor who became greatly persecuted, a murderer of Christians who became a martyr for being a Christian. He debated Jews repeatedly. He rebuked the great apostle Peter publicly. He preached the gospel fearlessly, suffered terribly for it, and planted churches faithfully. He performed miracles, including raising the dead. He received direct revelations from God, including some kind of experience where he was lifted into the third heaven. He wrote half of the New Testament, including this letter to the church in Philippi. Paul was the most productive apostle, the most prolific writer, the most prominent missionary in the early church. And so his conversion and his calling were amazing and extraordinary. Now, I think many of us sometimes will excuse some of our sinful life choices by saying a phrase like this, well, I'm not Jesus, and feel good about it. And then others, although they may not say it, could probably just as easily excuse some of their foolish lifestyle choices by saying, well, I'm not Paul, I'm not an apostle, I can't do everything he did which may or may not be true. But what is true is that God doesn't need us to be extraordinary or to accomplish amazing things in order to advance the gospel through us. Even if the Apostle Paul was the tip of an extraordinary spear, there was a pile of people, very ordinary people, holding the spear for him. Now, at the end of the book of Romans, which I'm not sure how many have ever read, or if you come to the 16th chapter in what I think is probably the best book of theology ever written, you maybe have to read it really quickly and skip over it as somewhat insignificant. But in that chapter, he closes his letter with a list of people just greeting and thanking some names. I'm going to read it to you, or at least a portion, in Romans chapter 16. He says this, Greet Prissa and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. 
Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mom, who has been a mother to me as well. An amazing list of ordinary names, people that you and I, other than in this place, have never heard of. We don't know what they did. We don't know how they died. I think one of the most fascinating names in that list is Rufus's mom. The only other Rufus we know in the Bible is the son of a man named Simon of Serene. You may have heard of him. He's the guy that was chosen to carry Christ's cross. Now, if this is the same family, then Rufus's mom was Simon's wife. And she became very important to Paul. This is the kind of verse I think we're apt to read over without really considering what I think is the important weight of it. These nobodies... Relative nobodies, no record other than this list, no uh, resume of what they might have accomplished. They were deemed important enough by the Holy Spirit to inspire Paul to memorialize them in the Holy Scriptures. You see, one doesn't enter the kingdom of God because they're extraordinary or they've done amazing things. What we need to understand and what I want you to understand is that by virtue of being the kingdom of God, you are extraordinary. A miracle, if you will, with something to do and to contribute to the kingdom. As citizens, we all have very different callings. But there is something that characterizes every kingdom citizen, regardless of the calling that you might have. And so Paul's going to give us two examples of two guys, one you've heard of and one is probably pretty obscure. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, I'm just going to read the descriptions of these two guys. It says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, excuse me, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Two interesting guys. Now, to give you a little bit of background, the Philippian church, as you may know, was planted by a team of people led by Paul. According to the narrative we read weeks ago in Acts chapter 16, we can assume that 
Timothy and Dr. Luke were actually with Paul, but they weren't imprisoned like Paul and Silas were. Years have actually passed since that time. Probably at least five years has passed since the church was planted. And in those years, Timothy has become one of Paul's most trusted companions and gospel partners. And so he and a young pastor named Titus, of which there's also a letter written to him in the Bible, they're often sent on kind of special missions by Paul to deal with different problems that have arisen in the churches he planted. It's likely that Timothy was part of one of those missionary teams that actually traveled back through Philippi later, and that's probably where he gained, or they all gained, kind of a mutual affection for one another. So the Philippian church loved Timothy, and Timothy loved the Philippian church. Now, the church had heard that Paul had been imprisoned, and they were concerned, and so they had actually sent a letter to find out what had happened to Paul, how he was doing, and so on. And so a guy named Epaphroditus was commissioned by the church to go to Paul to bring a gift to him and to serve him and to learn what was going on. We know that he arrived because in Philippians chapter 4, near the end of the letter, Paul writes this, that I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So we know that's kind of the scenario of what happened. And then in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 2, which I started to read this morning, we learn that the journey from Philippi, Epaphroditus, to Rome was difficult. It was long, and along the way, he got really sick. We don't know what he contracted or exactly what was going on, but we knew that he was close to death. That's how sick he was. He didn't die. Paul says that by God's mercy, he recovered and he is there with Paul. But now Epaphroditus has been sent back with this letter that we have as the letter to Philippians, sent back to Philippi. Now, Paul had said in verse 19, the first verse I read, that he had hoped to send Timothy when he figured out what was going on with him in prison and his trial. Now, we know that Timothy's with him because he starts his letter by saying Paul and Timothy, and that's often how he has opened many letters to show that Timothy is with him. But his plan to send Timothy, what he writes, it reads kind of like a response as if he got a request from the Philippians, as if they sent Epaphroditus and they said, hey, would you mind sending Timothy so that he could minister to us or be with us or report about what is going on? And though we don't know for sure, that kind of means that Epaphroditus was sent with a gift, but he was also sent as a gift. Like he was supposed to trade out with Timothy. He was supposed to stay, and Timothy likely was supposed to go back. Now, part of this perspective is rooted in sort of what reads like a defense for Paul's decision. Like, as I wanted to send Timothy but I found it necessary to send Epaphroditus. And he defends Epaphroditus a little bit 
or at least describes the value that he has for Epaphroditus. He calls him my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. And then he goes as far as to, in verse 29, say, make sure you receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Which, whenever I read stuff like this, I'm like, why are you saying that, Paul? Like, why would you, by the way, embrace him when he comes? And so as you think it through, like, well, perhaps this kind of thing is warranted because perhaps he assumed that the Philippians might be a little surprised to see Epaphroditus. They might be a little disappointed to see Epaphroditus. We wanted Timothy, right? We wanted, like, varsity-level apostle assistant Timothy, and you sent us back Epaphroditus, right? Like the guy, but he's no Timothy. That's possible. And I realize there's a lack of detail here, so much of this is speculative. It's not necessarily exactly what happened, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Now, here's why. Timothy and Epaphroditus were very different guys. This is important to understand. Here's how different they were. Timothy uh, was raised in the faith. So it would be like you and I telling our testimony And many people begin it this way, I was raised in a Christian home, right? This is Timothy, right? And we know that because in the second letter to Timothy that Paul writes in the Bible, which is his actual last letter altogether, he talks about Timothy's mom and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. He's like, oh, Eunice and Lois, they raised you well. So Timothy was raised in a faithful home. Now, he was a young man from the city of Lystra, and he got interested in missionary work when he saw Paul go in, preach the gospel, get stoned. They thought he was dead. They dragged him outside. Then he got back up and went and preached again. And Timothy's like, that's what I want to do, right? So he joins the team. And over time, Timothy becomes one of Paul's favorite, closest, most trusted confidants and helpers. He calls him his son at different times. He calls him, calls him his faithful child in the faith. He was, if anything, the closest thing we have to a protege for Paul. So Timothy is up there in terms of what he is like, in terms of like the apostle. At some point, he was ordained to serve by elders. He was sent out on missions with Paul, and likely he preached like Paul did, pastored like Paul did, planted churches like Paul did, was persecuted with Paul. He was a relative young man. He was sent on special missions at times back to churches like Corinth and Thessalonica and Ephesus. He was probably 30-ish years old, and he died at 80. Tradition says he died as an 80-year-old pastor in Ephesus when he confronted a group of pagans, told them that their idolatry was ridiculous, and they beat him with clubs. That's, well, that's right or wrong. We have a report that that's what happened. And so Timothy, like Paul, was pretty extraordinary. He had an extraordinary calling, and even so that Paul says in verse 20, there's no one like him. I got no one like Timothy. So we can imagine the Philippians are like, send Timothy. That'd be rad. 
And then Epaphroditus shows up. Now, Epaphroditus, he's not a bad guy. He's just no Timothy. He's a little ordinary. Epaphroditus wasn't raised in a faithful home. His name actually means lovely. It's a pretty common name. And it was actually derived from Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love and beauty, which probably means that he was raised by parents who were pagans devoted to this goddess. Now, he probably was not born in Philippi, though he was likely reborn in Philippi or converted to Christ there. Some scholars argue because of the mosaics that are made of him that he was a Roman, that he was actually possibly a former soldier, maybe part of the Praetorian Guard, that he was a war veteran who had likely retired and was living in Philippi like lots of retired soldiers were. He was older. He was probably closer to 50. Now, I'm not saying anymore that I think that's very old because I'm, I'm getting close to that. But compared to young Buck Timothy, right, he was like old man Aphrodite. Now, it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it, that his mission could not have been any more different or any less glorious than Timothy. Here's what I mean. Epaphroditus is not remembered for preaching the gospel. Epaphroditus is not remembered for planting churches. He's not remembered for the great persecution he endured in prison. He is not remembered for writing letters. He is not remembered for dying a martyr's death. Epaphroditus' grand contribution to advancing the gospel was delivering a care package to Paul in prison. That's it. Epaphroditus was an ordinary mailman, a faithful servant, and the type of man that Paul says we should honor such men. We should honor such men. Now, with Timothy, like, yeah, honor. Look what he did. With Epaphroditus, I wonder why Paul has to say that. Because the tendency might be, eh, you know, thanks for taking the package. Now, this particular section of Philippians is a little bit different than the rest of the letter in that there's no direct teaching. Like Paul doesn't call us to believe certain things. He doesn't command us to do certain things. He just gives these descriptions of these two guys. And he really gives what amounts to like, here are my travel plans for later. My travel plans for Timothy, my travel plans for Aphrodite, my travel plans for me. And you're like, what are you supposed to learn from this? Well, I think we learn a lot from the example of these very two different men and their very different callings. And by that I mean, even though all of us, for those who are in Christ, are called to the same Lord, we're actually not necessarily called to the same thing in the Lord, if that makes sense. See, Paul has written more than once here in Ephesians to let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. He has said, walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. And even as he said that, he has not said, well, this is the manner and course of life and path that you should all be walking exactly. See, in God's kingdom, there are Timothys. And there are Epaphrodituses. There are Pauls. And there are mothers, like Rufus's mom. 
And like citizens of our country, which are very diverse and very different, yet they're all citizens, citizens of the better country, the Bible says, the kingdom of God, there are different kinds. There are old citizens and young citizens, male and female citizens, educated, uneducated citizens, musical citizens and non-musical citizens, citizens who can teach and citizens who cannot. They're different, and that is good. To the glory of a creative and sovereign God, he creates different people with different stories of origin, possessing different passions and different gifts that he uses to advance the gospel in a very different world full of different people in different ways. That's his plan, and it's good. But even as we celebrate, right, you can be like, oh, we're so different, and I can't appreciate you, and you can't like... Even as we celebrate those differences, even as we say, man, every man, woman, and child has value in the kingdom of God, regardless of what you accomplish or achieve, we also say, but there's something that's the same about everyone, no matter what you accomplish or achieve. There's some characteristics that are always the same. So I want to just talk briefly about those characteristics that we see in Epaphroditus and Timothy, who are very different, and yet... The same. So the first is kingdom citizens do the same work. And what do I mean by that? Well, in defense or support of Epaphroditus, Paul describes this man as a fellow worker and fellow soldier. And interestingly, Paul uses the same kinds of words when he talks to Timothy in his letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, he says this to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops." Now, some of us might identify with one of those more than another. I like being a soldier. Maybe athlete makes more sense to you. Or maybe farmer makes more sense to you. Regardless of which one, there's something that they all have in common. One, they're all in the kingdom of God. And two, they all work extremely hard. They work differently. They are different. But the one thing that's not different is they're all working to the glory of God. There are soldiers and there are civilians, right? There are athletes and there are spectators. There are farmers and there are consumers. The civilians, the spectators, the consumers, that describes people who are not in the kingdom of God. But soldiers, athletes, and farmers, there's all kinds of differences there. But they all work hard. Like soldiers fight hard. Athletes run and train hard. And farmers plow and work the fields hard. And they all do it with a specific goal, right? The battle is to be won. The race is to be finished. The field is to be grown and cultivated. Citizens of a heavenly kingdom are often called exiles and sojourners and ambassadors, which means you are, like, this place is not your home. You've been sent into it, and you have something to accomplish. And even though... The particular battle that you find yourself in may be different than another person's battle. 
or the particular race that you've been given to run may be different than another person's or the field that you've been given to work, but it's no less important. It's no less extraordinary, even if it is ordinary. Like, if Paul can thank the mother who mothered him, then being a mother is a way to advance the kingdom of God. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a missionary. Where you're at, God intends to use you. Where you're at, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your community, those places and groups that you're part of for recreation, you've been sent there. I haven't been sent there. I'm not your neighbor. But you've been sent there to advance the gospel in some way, to work towards that end and not to passively sit there. All kingdom citizens view themselves this way. Timothy did, and Epaphroditus is as, as different as they were. But the second thing is that they each had a certain perspective of life. They possessed the same kind of mind. Not just the same kind of work ethic, but the same kind of mind. Right? In describing Timothy, Paul compares him to, to all kinds of other ministers. And he says, out of all the ways he could characterize Timothy, let me tell you the kind of guy Timothy is. He could have said, man, he's an amazing preacher. Man, he really understands the word of God. Man, he, he is a, a missionary who knows how to plant churches. What he said was this, I have no one like him. Why? Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not that of Jesus Christ. This is how he chooses to describe Timothy. He's already said earlier that those who have the mind of Christ have a certain perspective of life and that mind and that desire is this. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. Now, I think the majority of people don't, even though they'll say differently, I don't think they really view service as something great. What I mean by that is I think people really misunderstand even what greatness is today. If we think of the people who are making a great name for themselves today, our culture seems uh, fearful of, of one thing in particular, of not having a great name. Like more than anything, the worst thing that can happen to somebody is feeling like, oh, I don't want to be ordinary. I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be obscure or unknown. And as a result, you've got all kinds, hundreds of thousands of people trying very hard to make a name for themselves or get a bunch of fans or a following in ways that are incredibly foolish and often crude. And they're succeeding. But Jesus is really actually pretty clear about what greatness is about. He says, you want to be great? Now this is like God incarnate, son of God, wisest to ever live. He says, be a servant. If you want to be great, be a servant. What does that even mean? I'll make it really simple for you. Whatever field you're sent into, whatever race you find yourself in, whatever battle you might fight, in your home, in your marriage, in your job, on your sports team, whatever, ask this question. Instead of, what can I get? A kingdom citizen asks, how can I help? How can I help? Now, you may not like the answer to that question. 
And that's why we're reluctant to ask it. Because the answer might come back to something that's very inconvenient, uncomfortable, or just something you don't want to do. How can I help? I need you to clean the toilet. How can I help exactly? What else can I do? Now, here's the mystery of it. In taking the focus off of ourselves, in taking the focus off of what is in it for me, and placing on how can I glorify God, how can I bless others? Mysteriously, though in your flesh you won't believe me, that is where we find fulfillment. So my good friend and fellow pastor Jim Fickert wrote an awesome blog. He's way smarter and a better writer than me, and I told him I was going to steal this and use in my sermon. So there's his credit, and here's what he wrote. He said, it's not a mistake that our loving God, who wants what is best for us, commands us to serve. He knows that when we do not, and we instead focus inward, we spiral into depression and selfishness. And it's only in admitting weakness and giving up the delusion that we can find fulfillment on our own that we actually have our needs met by meeting the needs of others. There's a lot of truth in that. And it's that hard kind of truth. You're like, I know that's true, but I'm struggling to believe that. A kingdom citizen is devoted, has a mind to say, how can I serve others? What can I do to help? Timothy was like, what can you do? You can go with Paul. You can serve on missionaries. You can do this stuff that's crazy. You'll end your persecution. Epaphroditus, I need you to carry this package to a guy in prison. Which one would you choose? Some are like, I don't want the glory. I think a lot of us are like, uh, are people going to know I brought the package? Are people going to post about it? A lot of us don't want to be Epaphroditus, but Epaphroditus are used by God to advance the gospel. Men who are worthy of honor, women who are worthy of honor that you don't even know about. There are people in this church that you don't realize, though you are very grateful for, that there's toilet paper on those rolls when we're in there. Or that clean the church. Or that serve the homeless and you never know. And I'm trying to guilt anybody. I'm just saying like, everyone like, I, I preach all the time. They see me online. But there are so many other people that do so much more stuff that advances the gospel even more than this. The last part, kingdom citizens also are characterized by counting the cost. They take risk. Timothy traveled with Paul on many of his journeys, and even now he's with him in prison in Rome. And whenever Paul risked his life, Timothy risked his life, right? Whenever Paul was persecuted, Timothy was persecuted. They both died as martyrs. Like, it's clear, like, man, these guys risked their lives because they literally gave their lives. From what we read, the only thing we know about Epaphroditus is he brought this gift to Paul. And we don't even know how he died. Tradition doesn't tell us. Along the way, in this one journey he had, he got sick. And it's tempting to go like, oh, that's, that's unlucky. What a coincidence. You got sick on the way to taking this package but it's interesting that 
call, uh, Paul calls the Philippians to honor Epaphroditus. In verse 30, he says, for he nearly died along the way. No, for the work of Christ. He risked his life to complete what was lacking. Like, he viewed, now it was somewhat dangerous, but it's not like he was walking through the Valley of Knives or something. Like, it's, it, it was a pretty basic task, but he got sick along the way, and Paul says he was doing the work of Christ. He was risking his life. I think sometimes we think that, oh, well, a kingdom citizen is going to lose their life for Christ, and that's certainly possible. I think many people, like when they imagine, like, if someone put a gun to my head, I would declare myself a Christian. I'm like, really? I'm not even sure most of us would change our lifestyle if that's all that was asked. I think Paul has to say this. Like, he has to say, by the way, like, he almost died for the work of Christ because the temptation is to not view Epaphroditus' ordinary work as significant. I wonder if you're the same. As a mom, as a plumber, as a teacher, as whatever it is you happen to be. Man, I'm not really advancing the gospel. I wouldn't think that way. Now, there are those that risk their lives. I was reminded of a story about a young man named John Allen Chow who almost, I really think it's two years ago today, just happens to be. He was a 26-year-old Christian missionary. He may remember that in November of 2018, it might have been October, but I believe it was November 2018, uh, he paid some local fishermen to smuggle him onto a small island just south of India. This is an island that was largely impenetrable to the gospel and really just to people altogether. Many people have been killed trying to reach these natives on this island. And he really wanted to reach them. And before he was killed, he revealed a couple things in some of his letters. One was that he said that he was willing to die and another that he was actually scared. And then he wrote a letter to his parents in the journal, and he said this, you guys might think I'm crazy in all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. He had counted the cost. Now, unbelievers did perceive that differently. After that happened, they would publicly declare that giving his life was pretty foolish. They would say, well, that's kind of a waste. What was that guy thinking? And certainly, non I mean, believers wouldn't ever say the same thing, though maybe some may have thought it. But I wonder if secretly or maybe passively, we actually agreed with the non-believers because, as I said, we wouldn't disrupt our lifestyles. Christ. Now, every citizen of heaven is different, but we are all ministers of the gospel. And the key is not to figure out, like, what, 
what calling should I do? Instead, you need to understand, what is the calling that you've received? One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Colossians 4.17, where Paul writes to some dude, one of his team members, hey, let's call him Bob, because it's easier to say than that. Say, hey, make sure you tell Bob, fulfill the ministry that he's received from the Lord. And that's my message to you. Your goal is not to seek out a calling. It's to live out the calling that you've received from the Lord to advance the gospel. And certainly, maybe, maybe you're going to be a Paul. Maybe you're a Timothy. Maybe you're going to help pastor, plant churches, write letters. I, I don't know. Maybe you're going to be a John Allen Chow. But maybe, perhaps, possibly, you're an Epaphroditus who may do something in the eyes of the world less glorious but certainly not in the eyes of God. Even though the church needs Paul's and the church needs Timothy's and the church needs John Allen Chow's, we also, I think, even more so, the local church needs Epaphroditus's. A church of people trusting that who you are right now and what you have right now is to be used and can be used by God and is being used right now. And if you don't believe me, well, you're wrong. But I'll close with this verse because if nothing else, I want you to remember, it's not about you. It's about God in you. Paul prays this at the end of Ephesians 3. Now to him, so I'm not like, you can do it. I believe in you. No, I believe in God in you, right? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that you ask or even think about your situation and what you have or what you don't have or your abilities or your opportunities, stop thinking about that. What about God? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Be who God has called you to be and embrace that for the miracle that it is, even if it's not extraordinary in your eyes or the eyes of someone else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the goodness of your calling we thank you, Lord, that you don't call us into a mission where you say, okay, now go achieve a bunch of awesome things. But instead, Lord, you use who we are in the ordinariness of life to do amazing things. Lord, I trust that if you have some Pauls and Timothys and John Allen Chows around and among us, God be praised, Lord. Thank you. How exciting. And that let it not be any less exciting to have a church full of Paphroditus's, faithful men and women willing to do whatever it is that will be helpful to the glory of God to advance the gospel. And let us view what we do, Lord, differently. Let us view our callings and the fields we've been sent to, the battles that we find ourselves in, the races that we're running. Let us view them differently as opportunities to advance the gospel, to display the goodness of God in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.